Welcome to our look together at Luke chapter 14. As we continue to walk through week three, day four of our look together to the gospel of Luke, chapter a day. This is a chapter, Luke 14, that's all about confronting and confounding the conventional wisdom of that day. And as I read through this chapter, I'm reminded that we have a lot of conventional wisdom in our day, just ways of thinking that everybody has, but that just aren't right. And Jesus has a way in our hearts, in our minds of confronting those things. Even as he confronts the wisdom of that day, you might find yourself feeling him confronting some of the wisdom in our day, some of the wisdom in your life. When we think we've got it all put together and we know it all, we've got it in a neat little package, Jesus often likes to come in and interrupt that way of thinking. For instance, Jesus speaks in this chapter to those whose conventional wisdom said you could not heal on the Sabbath. Why? Because it didn't fit their list of rules. What does Jesus have to say about this? Verse 5. Then he asked them, if one of you has a son or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull him out? Jesus says, wait a minute, you can't heal on the Sabbath day, but if one of your children falls into a well, if even an ox, an animal falls into a well, don't you pull them out? So why is it that you can't heal but you can save. I mean, if you're saying you can't do any work on the Sabbath, why can you do that work? You can help an animal, but you can't help your neighbor? What sense is there in that? This is confronting conventional wisdom. And when Jesus does this in my heart, in your heart, we need to listen. It's hard to listen because conventional wisdom is conventional. Everybody accepts it. It's hard to go against it. People look at you strange when you have a different idea, a different opinion. But the conventional wisdom that poor people are poor because they don't work hard enough, and so why should I help them? That's conventional wisdom for those who may have too much and don't want to help the poor. And when you show up and begin to have the heart of God towards the poor, people may look at you a little strangely, but you're listening to the heart of God. You're listening to the way that God looks at things. You're looking at things the way that God looks at things. Jesus also talked about the conventional wisdom, and this one certainly fits our day, of those who sought their own importance. What an easy thing to fall into. Verses 7 to 11, here's what Jesus said. When he, Jesus, noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor. For a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this man your seat. And then humiliated, you'll have to take the least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. And then you will be honored in the presence of all your fellow guests. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. I have to tell you, personally, I am constantly challenged by Jesus' words, take the lowest place. Truth is, I don't want to take the lowest place. And the even more honest truth is, if I take the lowest place, I certainly want others to notice. I want other people to give me the highest credit for taking the lowest place. I hope that we together can be on this lifetime pursuit of genuine humility. And it's a lifetime pursuit because we all have to face genuine pride in our lives. I certainly do. I've always loved what C.S. Lewis said about this. If anyone wants to be humble, the first step, he says, is to admit that one is proud. That's where it begins. 
Admit that we have to deal with pride in our lives. Jesus says, take the lowest seat. What does that mean for you today? What does that mean in your family? What does that mean at your school? What does that mean in your office? It certainly doesn't mean you do it for the notice because the notice is the problem. It means you do it because you love other people. It means you do it because you have a sense of confidence in your relationship with God that goes above and beyond needing the notice of others. You notice others' needs rather than needing others' notice. Jesus says it this way. Exalt yourself, you're going to be humbled. Humble yourself, you're going to be exalted. Now, you might think, how does that play itself out? I've seen a lot of people who exalt themselves, and they seem to be more and more exalted in this world. Well, Jesus isn't just talking about this world. He's talking about eternity. And those who most highly and pridefully exalt themselves in this world, they face an eternity of humbling before the awesome majesty of God. And those who humble themselves, and I often think it may not be myself who happens to live in a very prosperous place in this world. It may be those who live in very, very simple places who don't have much to live with but are still serving God with all their heart. Those who humble themselves in this world. In eternity, they'll be exalted. They'll be put in places of highest honor and privilege, not for their own pride, but for the sake of the glory of God. That's Jesus' wisdom towards those of us, all of us, when we seek our own importance. Jesus also has some wisdom to give to those who bank on God's blessings. Those of us who feel like, and those times in our lives when we feel like, okay, I got God's blessing in the bank. I'm settled on this one. Jesus in verses 15, and then all the way down to verse 24, here's what he has to say. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, blessed is the man who will eat at the feast of the kingdom of God. Jesus replied, a certain man who was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. And then down in verse 23, then the master told the servant, go out to the roads and country lanes and make them come in so that my house may be full. I tell you, not one of those men who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. Some people think that they're on God's A-list. No matter what happens, I'm in, whatever I choose to do. And so maybe you give excuses to not be involved in the things of God, not follow the invitations of God in your life because your heritage, your culture, your background, your morality, your intelligence, whatever reason, your education, you feel like you're on God's A-list. Be careful, Jesus says. It's not about what list you think you're on. It's about how you respond to God's invitation and God's love. And the question I have every day of my life is, how am I responding to God's invitation and God's love? Some people think they're on God's D list, ignored by God, never invited. Be encouraged, Jesus said. It's not about what list other people think you're on. It's about how you are responding to God's invitation and God's love. Now, Jesus has one final confrontation of the conventional wisdom in this chapter. He confronts the wisdom of those who love the excitement of it all. They're always there for the crowd. They're always there for the thrill. Verses 25 and 26. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus. And turning to them, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. 
I've often wondered what it would have been like to be one of Jesus' first 12 followers and to watch these moments. The crowds are getting bigger and bigger. The excitement is growing. And all of a sudden, in the midst of this, Jesus turns around and says, you know what you need to do? You need to hate your mom. You need to hate your dad. You need to hate your own life. The disciples sometimes must have thought, Jesus, what are you doing? Just when the crowds are getting bigger, just when the excitement is growing. Jesus shows up with a statement like this because he knew that it was what people needed. Now, it brings a lot of questions for us. Hate my mom? What does that mean? Hate my life? First, this word hate in the Hebrew language, the Aramaic that Jesus spoke it in, has the idea of to love less. It's more of a priority word than the relational word that we would put in. It's not about being bitter towards your parents. It's about loving them less, even your own life less than the life of God. But having said that, this is also a very strong challenge. Jesus is saying to me, to you, to this crowd in that day, to all the crowd sense, are you in it just for the excitement of the moment, for the thrill, or are you really thinking about what it means to follow me? Jesus says, if you're thinking about what it means to follow me, here's what you'll do. You'll carry your cross and you'll count the cost. You'll carry your cross, verse 27. And anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. And you'll count the cost, verses 28, and then down to 33. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Will he not first sit down and estimate the cost to see if he has enough money to complete it? Verse 33, in the same way, any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. Let's pray together. Lord, help me to do that. Just say that to him. Help me to do that. To learn what it means to carry carry my cross and to count the cost. To not just be in it for the moment or the thrill or the excitement, but in any and every circumstance of life, whatever's happening, to carry the cross. To realize that I'm carrying into every circumstance of life the truth of who you are, Jesus, and your sacrifice for me. And a commitment that's willing to give it all for you a willingness to do whatever it takes to put you in first place in my life. And Lord, help me to count the cost. Not to pretend like it's not going to cost anything. To count the cost in my finances, in my relationships, in my time, in my commitments. And Lord, in those moments when you're challenging me to give up something and it seems like I can never give that up because that's where my life is found, remind me that the only reason you'd ask me to give it up whether it seems to be something good or I know that it's a sin. The only reason you'd ask me to give it up is because you know that you have more life to give me than there is in that thing. Help me to carry the cross and me to count the cost. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.